Welcome to this podcast, which was recorded at the Australian Farm Institute's Roundtable on valuing agriculture's natural capital in October 2019. I'm Richard Heath, Executive Director of the AFI. The Roundtable interrogated opportunities to build natural capital in the ag sector and asked what support is needed to progress the implementation of ecosystem services in an Australian landscape. The three Roundtable sessions offered different insights into these topics. We hope you find value in these recordings of the speakers' presentations. Our final speaker in this session is Dr. John Hewson. Dr. Hewson is Chair of the Business Council for Sustainable Development and, as I'm sure you would all know, has been an expert on operations of markets across the economy for uh, a long time. And Dr. Hewson's been making some very interesting comments recently in the media about operations of markets for ecosystem services for agriculture. So I'd like you to welcome John to the stage to talk about the potential of these markets going forward. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you very much, Richard. Let me begin by paying my respects to the Ngunnawal people as well. We're looking for, I think, decisive government leadership in a lot of areas these days, but I think recognition of our Indigenous heritage is one of them, which should be a priority, and I'm staggered that it's taken as long as it has to actually get it on the agenda, and we're no closer to getting it resolved. It's already degenerated into a bit of a partisan debate, which I think is a national embarrassment. Having said that, uh, my role is to say something about the future and the transition that we might see in, in this area. And unfortunately, I'm one of those people who carry the battle scars of the past. I tried back in the early 90s to get a sensible climate action strategy in place for a 20% cut in emissions by the year 2000 off a 1990 base through an emissions trading scheme. And I think where we might have been if we'd done 20% a decade since then, we'd have a much lower carbon price than is in fact implicit in the current electricity pricing system. And we'd be so far ahead of our Paris commitments that it wouldn't be an issue today. I'm surprised that in the period of nearly 30 years, we've only had a couple of occasions where we had genuine support for an overarching climate action strategy. There was certainly support in the early 90s. It was not an election issue at all. And I had unanimous support from the Liberal and National Party room. Again, in 2007, in the run-up to that election, where Rudd was making a lot of noise against Howard, Howard actually agreed to an emissions trading scheme. And we would have had that in place by 2010 should have had it in place either way. Since then, we haven't had bipartisan support for any sort of decisive action. And this is most disturbing to somebody like me who thinks that the urgency of the climate challenge is much greater than is being recognised today. In very simple terms, to get to net zero emissions by 2050, which is the basic requirement for a low-carbon society by 2050, we need to halve the current level of emissions by 2030. And I don't see that sort of sense of urgency anywhere in the world. Even with the Paris commitments, we're looking at their aim is one and a half to two degree warming by 2050. The numbers are really running towards four plus five percent by 2050. And the consequences of that are very significant. So we don't have a sense of urgency, which is a major concern right now. When you're looking for a degree of government leadership, there was a recent National Party dinner in Canberra and it was distinguished by three things. One, no recognition of country. Two, a stall selling Startadani t-shirts. And three, the auctioning of that famous lump of coal that the Prime Minister had held up in the Parliament. And that's the mentality that exists in a large part of this government at the present time. 
when we're talking about some of the initiatives that have been mentioned in terms of a transition to a market-based solution. I must say that as somebody who endorsed the Liberal principles and still does for a long period of time, who believes in small government, who believes in low levels of regulation, who believes in reliance on market forces wherever possible, I don't see that characterising the present government. It hasn't for quite some time and looking forward into the future, it won't. I mean, if you want a market-based solution to the climate problem, you start by putting a price on carbon. It's not just an economist statement. I think most people accept that that is the most effective way to go, as reiterated just last week by the IMF. Chances of that happening in the current political environment from either side of politics is very slim indeed. It makes you wonder whether, in fact, you should just throw up your hands and, and give up because it's going to be very difficult to get any sort of process forward, even though some of the elements that you're talking about today can actually do a large part in solving the problem. Regenerative agriculture, for example, can offset a very significant percentage of our present and prospective carbon emissions if done properly. And I'm staggered that that is not recognised in the National Party because there's a bottom line, from my point of view, it's a regionally applicable strategy. It has a lot of benefits across regional Australia for a party that doesn't have a regional strategy. It offers the farmer to sell carbon credits for the improvement in the carbon content of the soil, a significant additional income stream. I would have thought these are sort of two elements that might have been easily picked up by the National Party. So when I look at the situation as it stands today, how are we going to move forward when there is an entrenched anti-climate sentiment in the government. Indeed, government ministers are not turning up at events if they have climate in the title of the event, which is a very sad comment on how far down we've gone. And for the Prime Minister to have made the statement he made to the UN recently about how we've done it all, basically, we're leading the world in terms of our response to climate, we're going to easily get the 2030 objectives. I mean, I thought that sort of misrepresentation was staggering from somebody in his position. But there are going to be issues that come that drive them to do things. They may not talk about climate, but they will actually have to respond. One of them is clearly waste. I mean, we got away for quite some time by exporting a lot of our waste. And now the major countries to which we exported, like China or Indonesia, Malaysia, Sri Lanka, won't accept that waste anymore. It's going to drive the government to have a solution. In the last election campaign, they committed $100 million to a waste strategy. Susan Lee tells me that that's her task now, is to develop the essence of that strategy. And we have a waste, uh, assistant minister for waste as well. But that is a very significant challenge. And it is a way of dealing with climate very effectively. The feedstock for waste management strategy is spread right across Australia. And we can turn that waste into just about anything. You know, anything from sewerage to green waste, household garbage, industrial waste, and so on can be turned into biofuels, it can be turned into electricity, it can be turned into ethanol, for example, or biodiesel. These are all regional opportunities. You can have recycling mechanisms or projects in each uh, key regional centre. You can have small refineries. You don't have to have large refineries. The potential is enormous. And I think that's a mechanism by which the government may actually move towards having to solve that problem, and that has emissions reduction benefits. It has regional, significant regional benefits. A second issue is fuel security. I mean, we don't have fuel security in this country, and I find that a staggering. I think we've got about 21 or 22 days of accumulated petrol in service stations. We rely on about 44 ships a year coming from Singapore, and if they don't come, we've got a problem. And there have been instances where they haven't come. 
farmers in Western Victoria, for example, suffered from a lack of fuel. Melbourne Airport started rationing a couple of years ago flights because the fuel didn't arrive. There's a military exercise in Darwin which was delayed because the fuel didn't arrive. And you've got to stop and think about the significance of that and why we aren't generating alternatives to that sort of imperative. It's fairly acknowledged in the parliamentary process. And the transition is going to be fundamentally important. So again, using waste as a source of that fuel or indeed looking at what we do with some of the products that we export. 80% of the canola we export to Europe, they turn into biofuel. Why aren't we doing that in Australia and that value adding in this country? I mean, these are very simple examples of what is a challenge for this, this country. And I do think that issues like waste and like fuel security are going to be fundamentally important to driving the government to do more about climate without talking about doing more about climate. And of course, the drought's the third one. I mean, I'm staggered that we just still have pretty much a mentality that when we have a drought, the government's responsibility is to go out and hand out money, in one form or another, to those who are most disadvantaged, who are struggling with the consequences of the drought. Yet with a proper regenerative agricultural policy, where we restore the carbon content of the soil as a consequence, where we improve the resilience of the soil, where we minimise the likely intensity, if you like, of the effect of the drought, it seems to me that those sort of proposals, like Michael Jeffries has put up to the government on a number of occasions, and a number of others have. I mean, that's what should be embraced. And that will actually do more than most of the other talking that we see these days about the drought. And the idea of a hex-type scheme in relation to elements of that is very important. I mean, I, I think uh, most farmers reject the idea of handouts, welfare handouts. Income-dependent loan level of support might have been a better way to go. If you use that for baselining of, uh, of carbon, for example, it could be an, an element of an effective regenerative strategy. So I do think that the pressures are there for the government to do something. I've done something in the sugar industry, for example, looking specifically at waste, taking the bagasse. After you extract the sugar, the bagasse can be easily turned into a whole host of, of opportunities, ethanol, biodiesel, electricity, bioplastics, a whole host of applications from that element of waste, and yet the sugar industry is one of those industries that's being ripped off by foreign-owned mills that are very old and inefficient. So the opportunities exist in specific areas right across the country. And what we really need in response to climate is more focus on transition, not just having a debate, an endless debate about targets and the costs of targets and you know, whether the Labor Party's target is bigger than the Liberal Party's target or whatever but just focus on the transition to a low-carbon society by 2050 and go sector by sector in what needs to be done. There's been a very heavy focus on electricity and that's been largely made a mess of over the last couple of decades. Power is one of the sectors. Transport and the transition to electric vehicles in particular is a second one. The third one is agriculture. Fourth one is industrial processes. Fifth one is buildings and so on. We need a national transition strategy. And ironically, looking across all those sectors, regenerative agriculture has more potential than most of them to actually make a substantial contribution to a climate action strategy. Thanks for listening to this recording from the Australian Farm Institute's Roundtable. 
Make sure you seek out others in this series and visit farminstitute.org.au for the accompanying slides or more information about our work.